join him in the work that he's doing in the world around us. God invites us to join him in creating and shaping and forming new creations for his glory. We're created in the image of a creating God who has embedded in our being the desire to create and the ability to create. And we create in a variety of ways. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, some of you bring next week. Next Sunday is the art show right after worship. Uh, Your creation doesn't have to be art. It can be something that that you've uh, created, uh, your children, I guess. I don't know <laughs> if you can't think of anything else. But um, We're also called to innovate, to find new approaches and new methods to communicate the gospel message and to repair the brokenness in our world. And the world and the culture are changing constantly, and every church, every person is, finds themselves in a unique context in which we have to be open to, uh, have open eyes for, and look for effective ways to make the kingdom of God visible um, to the world that God has sent us to. Well, we'll all need to be innovating in our methods to do that. Ephesians 2:10, which is our memory verse for the series, tells us that we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Have you got it memorized yet? Reaching new people in new ways is part of the work um, that we've been given. This week, uh, we're looking and thinking about God's invitation to um, preserve, to be about the work of preserving. And I'm focusing specifically this morning on preserving the truth of the gospel. Uh, We need to be innovative and find new approaches to communicate the gospel. Methods change. But the message of the gospel doesn't change. Uh, This past week, I got an email from the United Methodist News Service, and one of the articles was in a a church called Gastro Church. And um, they're a United Methodist New Church start that's celebrating its one-year anniversary. I'm not sure what I think about the name. (laughs) But it's pretty obvious they're trying to be innovative in their approach to worship and to community. They meet once a month and share a meal together, and at the meal they talk about spiritual things. The tagline on their logo is intentional conversation about spiritual things over really good food. Later on in the page it says, we believe in slow food, good food, and share food, and we believe that somewhere in the mix God tends to show up. And I haven't decided what I think about that emphasis or that focus, but I want the best for them because hungry people need Jesus too, right? But the message is there. If Jesus is being lifted up, people are coming into a relationship with God, then past the cucumber sandwiches and poached pears, right? But if the people are not hearing that they can have new life in Jesus Christ, then it's just a waste of resources. The methods change, but the message doesn't. And to get us started today, uh, in your message notes, we're going to look at three reasons that the message stays the same, and then talk about uh, some some ways that we can be involved in preserving the truth of the gospel for the next generation. So number one, number one reason that we want to preserve the message is that God's truth doesn't change. 
Truth never changes. Truth stays the same. And we can develop our theologies, our take on God's Word. But if it differs from God's take on it, we'll miss out on God's best for us. God isn't going to change His truth to conform to our ideas about what the Bible should say. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 24:35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus' words are eternally the same and eternally true. What he taught 2,000 years ago aligns with how God designed the world and designed us to live. And his, disciple, his teachings will always be relevant because truth is just as true uh, today. It doesn't matter what the date on the calendar is. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. God's word stands. It's unchanging. And when it's communicated accurately, it's life-giving. If we water it down to attract people, then we'll miss out on its life-transforming power. And having said that, Jesus came um, full of grace and truth. So we need to offer truth, but we also have to offer grace and want to offer grace. Then number two, uh, reason for preserving the gospel, Jesus' followers went to great lengths to accurately convey the gospel message. Jesus' disciples took great care and made great sacrifices, even giving their lives to protect and preserve the gospel message from heresy and distortion, and there was a lot of pressure to change that message. The apostles and the New Testament writers carefully presented what was essential to salvation, and Paul says in numerous places that uh, in his writings that he is passing on what was passed on to him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, he not only talks about what he considers to be the essentials, but his concern for accuracy. 1 Corinthians 3-8. says, I passed on to you what was most important and had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So he he repeatedly reminds them that everything he is teaching is in line with the scriptures and in line with um, what he had been told. Then Paul goes on to give this list of people who are witnesses as evidence to the truth of his message. He's saying if you don't, if you had any doubts about what I'm telling you, then you can go and talk to one of these hundreds of people that have seen Jesus raised to life. Not only did Paul pass on what he had been told and could confirm through these witnesses, but he was careful to pass these things on to other reliable people who would pass them on to others. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. The New Testament writers 
passed on what they had received directly from Jesus' disciples and, and sometimes directly from Jesus. They were very concerned about conveying the gospel accurately because heresies were already starting to crop up in the church. Um, Peter gave this warning in 2 Peter 2. Uh, he says, But there were also false prophets among the people. He's speaking about the Old Testament. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. The devil is the enemy of truth, and he is intent on distorting the gospel with false teaching. And as time went by, and those who had known Jesus personally uh, or had spoken to people who knew him personally passed away, that next generation had a great challenge, an intense time of finding, trying to find ways to preserve the truth of the gospel message. And in the 4th century, when Constantine uh, became the first Christian leader of the Roman Empire, um, there was this hodgepodge of beliefs in his vast, this vast empire, you know, believing in Roman gods and these kinds of gods. And, and uh, then this was getting mixed with Christianity. And one of the major questions are, uh, at that time that kind of uh, there was these warring factions around it was about Jesus' divinity. Uh, was Jesus divine? And one group claimed that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist, that he was um, not divine, that, that he was a created being. They had a little song that said there was once when he was not, and they would sing it on the docks as they went about their work. And um, then there was this other group that said that Jesus had to be fully God and fully man in order to save people. And so they had this kind of war going. It was so heated, there were riots in the streets. There were uh, pamphlet wars and graffiti being painted on buildings. And Constantine had a problem. And so in 325, he invited 318 bishops to his vacation home um, in Mar-a-Lago. No, it was Nicaea. And uh, it must have been a pretty big-sized house because there were 318 bishops there for one month while they hammered out the creeds of the gospel. Um, this was the first worldwide gathering of the church, and they spent a whole month on um, deciding what was true about Jesus and what wasn't. And the creeds um, that we have today, the doctrines that we have, are a result of what those men agreed upon in their time together. Uh, they even settled on the dating of Easter, so it's their fault that we can't figure out when it's going to be. But the Nicene Creed and then later the Apostles' Creed were written as a way for people to memorize and pass on the key truths and essentials of the gospel message. Uh, the, the song that we just sang came from those creeds. And Christians throughout history have worked to preserve the true gospel. And that's what the Reformation was about, right? Getting back uh, the truth of the gospel. And if we don't get this right, then people's eternities are at risk. Then the third reason we want to preserve the gospel message is that God's word has the power to change lives and rescue people from darkness. And, and you know, we all have uh, personal preferences, music that we want to see preserved in the church, orders of worship that we like better than others, styles of preaching that we prefer. 
But those things can change and morph over time, and they're, uh, they're preferences that differ from person to person. But there are some things that are essential values that every Christian wants to preserve and longs to prefer, preserve. Life, uh, life is precious, and there's this universal agreement that um, lives should be preserved, that we just are outraged when you know there's these shootings and things like that. The beauty of God's creation should be preserved. Freedom. Um, people shouldn't be trafficked and sold like commodity in a marketplace. Human rights and justice. Children's innocence and safety. These are things that I believe that we all long to preserve. And, and the good news is if we preserve the truth of the gospel, these are things that will be preserved as well. Um, most everybody is familiar with this young woman uh, by now. Her name is Rachel Denhollander. She was the first woman to come forward to publicly uh, make allegations against Larry Nassar, the MSU faculty a member who sexually abused her and as it turned out over 250 other children, some as young as six years old. And what we haven't read as much about or heard as much about is that Rachel is a very strong Christian, and she came um, through the study of Scripture, came to the place where she realized that God, uh, she was in the position to speak up. And she said in this Christianity Today interview that she really struggled with some of the corrupt questions around why God allowed this to happen and, and where was God. But as she studied the Scriptures, um, she didn't get answers to all of her why questions, but she discovered some foundational things that helped her through it. One was that God is good. Another was that God can bring good out of evil. But the, the third and most important was that God is a God of justice. And that was what she pursued. Here's a quote from the article. Uh, she said, God is a God of justice, these things are evil, and it's biblical, right, and godly to pursue justice. I had to make a decision to do what was right, no matter what the cost was. I felt I was the best one in the position to do that. And that was because of the strong support system that she had and the deep faith that she had in God. Then she goes on to say, goodness and darkness exist as opposites. And if we pretend that the darkness isn't dark... It dampens the beauty of the light. She, she sought God's answers in Scripture and came away knowing that she had to do something that would take a great deal of courage and faith. And God used that to put an end to the harm that this man was inflicting on children. And this is just one example when truth is applied rightly and prayerfully how it can change lives and situations. Imagine if the whole world came to believe and live in the richness of God's truth and everything. Uh, then everything that we long to see preserved in our heart of hearts would be preserved. Justice and freedom and goodness and beauty and life. God makes this promise in Isaiah 55. It says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and she'll succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
Uh, we need to preserve the truth of the gospel because when it's presented fully, it transforms situations, lives, and cultures. Now, uh, at this point, you're looking at your message notes and going, when are we going to get done? There's two more points here. Um, the answer is, we're going to look at these very briefly because I've talked so much about them, and then we'll share in the Lord's Supper. So how can we be more intentional about preserving the gospel message? Number one, read and study scripture. Have you heard me say that before? <laughs> read and study scripture. You can't uh, recognize her heresy or error if you don't know what the Bible says. And the best way to preserve the gospel message is to read and study the Bible for yourself. Then when you're, uh, whatever you hear on the television or in the media or uh, even in your small groups. Um, if you are studying the Bible and you know what it says, then it's okay to question some things. And, and even in your groups, it, it will help you to dig deeper into what God's Word says about Jesus and what it doesn't say. Then number two, share the good news of the gospel with others. I think I might have said that before. We preserve the gospel by sharing it as Paul did uh, with others who will pass it on to others. You know, we have good news. And God invites us to join him in preserving it by sharing it with the hurting world. And I want to talk a little bit about what are those essential truths of the gospel. And they are that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, came to set us free from sin and death. There is forgiveness and new life available through faith in him. God's salvation is a free gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. Jesus has already paid it all. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, those who put their trust in Jesus become new creations and have a new nature. We don't have to do, uh, we get a fresh start and we don't have to do it by ourselves because he sends a helper he sends his spirit to live in us and enable us to live the life that Jesus came to give us. And it's a life that never, ever, ever ends. This is the good news of the gospel. It's the old, old story that still changes lives today. If you've never received that gift, I invite you to pray with me right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Please forgive me for all my sins. I accept the life that Jesus came to give me, and I give you my life now. Give me a clean heart, come into my life, and use me for your glory and your purposes. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, please check the box on the